This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit Tacovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. You know, at 19 years old, what were you doing back then, you know? You know, I bet you didn't go out 36 hours, you know, away from home. Like like you said, I mean, I didn't know nobody, you know, 36 hours away from home, not knowing anybody. You know, my dad did take me out there to Montana, and then he dropped me off, and he flew back home. I mean, that was it. I was out there by myself, you know, 36 hours, that's it. No car? Oh, I had my truck out there with me. That was it, you know, just out there by myself, you know, learning how to do it. I told myself, I said, you know, it's not only a 36-hour drive back. It's what I've got to listen to when I do get back. If all my friends say, man, I told you you couldn't make it as doing that. And I, I told you you couldn't do that. And, you know, just everybody's saying that. And I knew when I went out there, I said, you know, I'm not coming back. I'm not, I'm not coming back without accomplishing something. I'm not coming back without being a hunting guide. I'm going to do this. I'm all the way out here 36 hours away by myself. I'm going to do it because I'm not going to come back and give those people you know the chance to even say i told you you couldn't do that you know that's not how i am and that's not how it's going to be and that's why i did it i'm hunter jackson and this is a tom Rowland podcast today's episode is brought to you by waypoint tv Waypoint TV has so much going for it these days, written content, how-to, and over 70 producers putting their high-quality video out there for you to watch for free. If you haven't been to Waypoint TV, you should check it out. It really is a great service. If you like fishing and hunting content, this is definitely the place to go. You can get it on any device, including your smart TVs, your phone. There's apps. It's so deep and so thorough, check it out, waypointtv.com. I'm sure that you're going to be happy that you did. All right. This week, we have a really cool show. Uh, My son, Hayden Roland, is friends with a young man that we're going to talk to today. And my son sent me a message and said, hey, dad, you should really check out what Hunter's doing. I think you'd like to do a podcast with him. Uh, He's been doing some really cool stuff. So I 
you know, I had met this young man named Hunter Jackson a few years ago when his dad brought me brought him over to my house and said, "Hey, my son wants to do some something in the outdoors. You know, could could he ask you a couple of questions? Could you know?" let's just talk for a minute and let's see what's going on. And, you know, I loved it because his dad was being super supportive and, uh, and exposed him to a different point of view. And Hunter came and, and, you know, like a lot of young, young men, you could see the passion in his eyes, but he didn't really have any idea what he was going to do or how he was going to do it. But I could just tell this kid was probably going to continue down a road that would lead him to a career in the outdoors. So recently, I just hooked back up with him. I found out what he's doing. And Hunter, kind of like my son Turner, which we just did a podcast with a couple weeks ago with him and his friend Brendan Smith. If you haven't listened to that one, that one's a very good one, especially if you're interested in making a career in the outdoors. See how both of those guys are doing it and spending a lot of time out in Bozeman, Montana. Hunter did it a little different. Hunter found a guide school, not horribly unlike the guide school I went to, but this one was associated with hunting. And he tells us all about the whole thing. And then he ends up getting a job and great conversation, great podcast with a great young man. So I hope that you are going to enjoy this one with Hunter Jackson. So Hunter, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. How you been? I've been good. I've been doing great. I've been uh, following following you through your dad and through Hayden. Uh, my son has been telling me what you're doing, so I'm interested in finding out how this path has has gone for you. I remember the last time, maybe the last time that I saw you in person, we were we were in my garage and and just your dad and yourself were kind of asking about different ways to get into the outdoor industry and. And you've done it, man. You did great. So tell me what has happened since then. It's been a really good path I've been on. Um, ever since that day I, I talked to you, I kind of got looking into research and stuff and just researching ways to get out there and ways to get out west. And I kind of found some guide schools that I could go to. And I knew then I was like, that's it. That's that's how I'm going to do it. So I went to a fishing guide school. And at the time, I don't know that there were any others like that. But so when you're doing this research, I, and this is a world that I don't know about, the, the the hunting guide schools, did you find a lot of them? Yeah, actually, I mean, you, you type in on Google and you type in guide schools, I mean, hundreds of them will pop okay. up. And then that's where I just kind of got, I, I picked out my best five that I kind of found. And then I just kind of went from there and looked at reviews and stuff like that. Yeah. And so what was it that you were hoping for? Like when you're looking at a guide school, you want to be an elk guide or a deer guide, or you just want to go out west? Or what was it that, that you were kind of hoping would be the best result? I was just kind of wanting to do it all. I mean, I, I wanted to be an elk guide, deer guide, duck guide, anything I could be, I wanted to be it. Anything outdoors, that's what I wanted to do. And so I kind of looked at one that I knew that I could score a high score on this one that I went to, which is Rural Tine. And they told me, you know, if you score higher than a 3.6 and above, you know, they help you find a job. So what does that mean, score 3.6 or above? So every day in the class, at the end of the day, you would have a test you would have to take. And that would be your grades throughout the class. And then halfway through um, the month, you would have a midterm exam. And then that was basically your main score. And if you did good on that, then basically you were in. So let's talk about what a what 
what a day looks like or what the what the whole course looks like? A day in, in God school, you wake up and you have these tasks to do. One day you could be a camp jack and you would go in and light lanterns in the cook tent and you'd get coffee started and stuff like that. And then you'd have wranglers that would go out and get the horses from the pastures and bring them back in. And you would sit down and everybody would have breakfast in the morning and then you'd go to class time and you'd learn about the topic of that day. So we would learn about horseshoeing or, you know, just packing and stuff like that. And then you'd go to lunch, um, you'd come back and you would sit down for another class period. And then after that um, was study time and you could study around, you know, hang out and stuff like that and just kind of get studied up. And then you would have dinner. And then after dinner, you'd have another hour or so to study. And then you would go take a test at the end of the day. But it was mostly laid back. I mean, you know, once you weren't in class, everybody was telling stories and joking around and it was just good atmosphere to be so around. So when you are in class, what what's the subject matter? Like you're talking about horseshoeing and stuff like that. What, but there were other things that you were learning, right? Right. So you would learn a, how to mania a pack saddle, you know, how to, how to pack a pack saddle, um, you know, learn how to put a saddle on, um, a horse, horseshoe. And mostly it was, it, it, it mostly went around horses mm-hmm. and then you would go through packing. They had different, they had different courses. So the first set of courses, we would learn all about horses. So taking care of a horse, you know, all stuff like that. And then we would go to learning how to pack a horse and pack a pack mule. And then after that, after the midterm exam, that's when we learned really the hunting stuff. That's Hmm. when we would get into the guiding and stuff like that and first aid and stuff. So what was your horse experience like before the guide school? I hadn't really been on any. (laughs) (laughs) You'd never been on a horse. And so now you're all of a sudden, you're, you're, Deeply immersed in this. Oh yeah, yeah. Now, and what were the, what about the your classmates? Like, how many people were in this? Uh, there was me and nine other guys. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. And where does this take place? Uh, Missoula or not Missoula? Phillipsburg, Montana. Okay. And so you're out there in Montana. You got no horse experience. You show up from Tennessee. Where were the other students from? Kind of all over. Or? All over. Yeah. There was one guy from New York. There was some guys from Texas, um, Illinois, stuff like that. Yeah. Huh. And so. When they're teaching you about horses, are there actual horses that you're working with oh, in yeah. this course? Okay. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's a ton of horses and a ton of mules that we were working with. So, And we all got assigned our own horse. So the horses that they assigned us the first couple of days, that was the horse we stuck with throughout the whole the whole course. Really? And so how did that go with horses? Because some people have a natural affinity to horses, I think, or, or natural natural might not be the right word, but some people have a little bit more of an affinity to horses than others. What was, what was your experience like? I felt like it came natural to me. Um, I felt like I could really just, you know, it just came natural. I didn't really have a hard time with doing anything like everything I learned about a horse. I mean, it just came real easy to me. Like, and I seen some other guys in my class, they kind of had a hard time with it and stuff like that. But the only part that was hard with a horse is shoeing a horse. I mean, that was just, it, it was rough. It was absolutely rough, but I mean, we got through it and, you know, now we know how to do it just in case we blow out one on a trail or something one day. But that was probably the only thing with a horse was probably horseshoeing. I'd have to say was my hardest part. Yeah. And then so when you're when you're learning all of this, I mean basically they take you A through Z to taking care of a horse. Basically, yeah. They they start real low and then you know, they work their way all the way up to giving them shots. 
What was the the introductory? Like you show up without any horse experience. Did the other people have horse experience? Some of them did, not a whole lot. Like some, like there was two guys there. There was only two guys there that actually grew up on a ranch working with horses, so they were kind of familiar with that. But other than that, it was I was just like everybody else. Were were the guys that had grown up on a ranch were they like super bored during all of this? Yeah, they early kinda, part. Yeah, they kind of didn't yeah. pay attention a whole lot. Yeah. you know. And so, how did that look? Like, you know what they bring you over there and they're like, well, this is a horse and that's a mule. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you see the difference here. Yeah. Right? right. That's, that's basically what it was. Uh, they set us down and I think he actually drew a picture of, of what the two different <laughs> ones looked like. And yeah, I mean, they just show you different stuff about them and it's kind of crazy. Which did you like better? Probably a horse. Really? Yeah. A horse is more, more passionate when it comes to you. And then a, a mule, a pack mule is just, Sometimes they can be a little ornery. <laughs> yeah. So, but but in the in this course, you're learning how to use these for different purposes as it applies to deer hunting or elk hunting or packing a camp in, right? Right. And yeah. so, which is better for that, or it's a combination of both? It's really a combination of both. Like with well, the outfitter I worked for this year, he didn't use pack mules. He used regular pack horses. He just packed a lot of stuff off um, horses. But the school I went to, he did use pack mules. So it, it just kind of varies of where you go, I guess. Pack mules, really, they can carry a lot more weight. So I have seen that from the outfitter I worked for. And then the school, I mean, I have seen a mule can carry a lot more load than a horse can. So it kind of just depends on what you're carrying, I guess. Yeah. So let's go back to the course. You're 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 learning about horses and, and mules and everything from basic caretaking to getting them to camp tying them up, making sure that, that they're safe, right, all the way to almost veterinary care, veterinarian care right. of, of sh- take, giving them shots and chewing them and, and everything else. And so that lasts, like, how, how long is that course? Um, it lasted for probably a week, maybe probably four days to, to be exact, I think. And that it, this whole course is really fast-paced. I mean, it's a really fast-paced course. What's the course. overall length? Um, it's a month long. Okay, and so, well, walk 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 me through it because I have no idea. I mean, other than the fishing, but that I did, and it was a similar kind of thing. Like the horse was the drift boat, right? right. Like they everything in my in my little school that I went to it was associated with this drift boat, like like that. Like the horse is the basis of this thing, and if you can't take care of horses, then you're going to probably have a problem. But just walk us through the whole the whole school. So, when you get there, um, they 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 introduce you to everybody. Um, you you go and you take all your stuff, and they have you in these wall tents. So you got two two different wall tents. One was east, one was west tent, um, and that's how they did of who was going to wrangle in the mornings and who was going to do what. So they get you in there, and you you get all your stuff in. You meet everybody, and then you know you kind of have lunch, and then you basically start off first day. I mean, you're going to class. Um, so the first part of the course was, of course, horse training. Um, you learned about horses. You got to sign horses, um, and it goes like you said all the way to first aid. Um, and you'll learn all about a horse, and then they'll have what they call horseshoeing week, and one week full week is horseshoeing. I mean, you got to do it from start to finish. <laughs> and that was the worst part? That was you got the, the whole week? <laughs> oh, yeah. The whole week was the worst part. I mean, your your hands are done. I mean, you're bleeding bad. You know, you, you're getting nails sent through you. I don't, I don't know how the farriers do it, but <laughs> it's 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 crazy. But um, so they take you through horseshoeing. 
Um, you go through horseshoeing, you learn how to do that um, from start to finish. And then after that, they take you into packing, pack saddles. So that's when you kind of get the mules out there. And you'll learn how to manny a bale, and you have to manny four bales in under eight minutes, and that's and that's quick. Well, tell me, what does that mean? So a manny is just basically an old piece of canvas that's cut into basically a little square and just a bale of hay, um, and that's what you use to act like you're going to pack, you know, like gear in. Yeah. And so you got to fold one corner up, fold the right side over, fold the left side over, and then you'll go up to the front, fold it over, and bring it down. Then you got your manion rope. So your manion rope will have just a little split eye in it, and you pull it out. You just stick it on the end, tighten it up, and then you just put three loops in it, bring it all the way across, and put it tight. And the worst part where everybody messes up is they don't put it real tight, so the manny's loose. So you're going down the trail and it hits a stump and or a stick, and then just it's over with, and it's all falling out. <laughs> Saddles are rolling, and then it's just bad from there. <clears throat> so you learn how to pack and get that down, and so then after that, it's basically midterm week. And so all midterm is is what you learned, you know, the two weeks prior, um, and you just have to go and. Cody, the owner of it, he'll he's the one that goes over the test, and he'll look at you and he'll tell you, okay, do this, and you have to show him how you you know you know how to do that real good, and then he'll say another thing, and you do that, and then basically that's it. You just you just do what you did two weeks prior, so you're just so doing, that's the midterm that you're talking about. Yeah, that's okay. the midterm. So then after midterm is where you really get into the hunting stuff. So then you start learning how to blood trail. So they took us on this one course where they blood trailed, and you split into two groups. Basically, the two tents just stayed in east and west tent, and they took us on two groups. So a guy went out there, and he sprayed blood over a mile into the woods, just very little droplets of blood, like you were on a pin needle. And um, there was at some points we would go out there on that blood trail, and we, I'd have to get on my hands and knees, you know, and just look around and just try to find it. And then finally, you get there at the very end, and there's a blue ribbon. We were on the only group that actually found our blood trail. The other group didn't. They got circled around out there and was just doing circles out there, and they couldn't, they couldn't find it. So they take you on blood trailing. That's how you learn how to do that. And then they'll take you on a compass course and a, a GPS course. They actually dropped me and my partner off, which is my buddy Tex. They dropped us off in the middle of nowhere gave us coordinates and said here and it was over four miles we had to make it to this pond and so they just drop you off and say here do this you know so on something like that what was your experience map and compass before you went to the school um i didn't really have any i had a i had a little bit in gps just because of being out here and just kind of using it around in chattanooga and stuff i've kind of used it a little bit gps and, and so when they dropped you off you have a gps or you have a map and compass i had a gps and a compass that's all i had and then i had the coordinates that i had to get to that's all i had yeah. And so how that was four miles away? Did four. you know it was four miles away, or they no. just say here are the coordinates? It might be hundred yeah. miles away. Yeah, that's what they said. They just they drop you off, they shoot you, they give you the coordinates, and then you're on your own from there. And they drive off and dropping somebody else off. So they all drop you off in different stages. Yeah. So <laughs> did did Tex have any experience with this? He didn't. No, he had as much as me. I mean, just a l- so very little. are you prepared to spend the night? Oh yeah. So, okay, we had so they dropped you off, you got your pack. Yeah. And then what happens? Like, what do you do from there? I mean, we just typed in the coordinates and I, I looked at it and I, you know, I set the waypoint and it said uh, four miles. I said, we can make it, you know, let's, let's go. We still got plenty of daylight left. And 
I think they knew that we were supposed to make it because they didn't really tell us that we were going to have to stay the night. I figured they would have told us at least if, hey, you might have to stay the night. So when they dropped us off, we hit the coordinates and we were on the run. I mean, we were just going. And then did you encounter any sort of uh, terrain problems? No, it was Cliffs. all pretty smooth. Um, the only thing that we run into, we we had, did have to go through a swamp at one point. It did get a little swampy and we couldn't go around it. So we just trucked right through it. I mean, we were just trying to get there quickly. Just, uh-huh. We wanted to beat everybody else, really. We wanted to beat everybody there because I didn't know where everybody else was let off at. We actually ran into two more of my buddies. They took the same path that we did, I guess, and they kind of caught up with us. So everybody's going to the same location. Yeah, they all got the same coordinates. Okay. We're all supposed to meet up there. So, did anybody not make it? Um, there was one guy that we had to wait over an hour on. They got him and his buddy got turned around in the woods, and, and they, they're following a GPS. Yeah, why? How can you get turned I around in the woods if you're the, following a GPS? I think they didn't want to go through the swamp oh. area, and I think they got turned around. And I, I don't really know what happened, but it took them a lot longer than it took everybody else. But we had to wait over an hour on them. So it's interesting that you had that they let you off with the GPS. Did you study paper charts? Yeah, before before they let us off, they gave us a little bit of how to, you know, how to use it and stuff like that, and set it up for us. Um, you're supposed to bring a GPS with you when you come. So they 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 gave us a little how to and how to use it before we went in there, and then that's when we went. Okay. So and um, so when you win something like that, or you get there before, is there is there a benefit to that? No. <laughs> no you just do that. Yeah. So, okay, so so now you're you're doing the horses, you're starting into the hunting and you know what? Let's let's have you change chairs cuz that one's squeaking. You can move it over where you want, but that one's a squeaky one. Which are these are are the things that you're that you're the most excited about or having the most trouble with? Like the horses, obviously, we've we've talked about that. But as you're moving into like the more of the hunting stuff, what's next after the navigation? Um, after the navigation, that's when you kind of go into how to set up your pack and what things you need in your pack. Um, and they go over that a whole day. You know, they'll tell you, you know, first aid wise, you know, what you need in your first aid kit. Um, they'll tell you, you know, you know, always have fire supply you know make sure you got ways to start a fire ways to make a shelter survival blankets just stuff you need in your pack on a daily basis when you're out guiding yeah so is making a fire part of this course they 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 walk do you spend a day making fires they actually didn't know they didn't do that seems like that's pretty important yeah i figured they would have <laughs> i figured they would have made us try to at least try to start a fire but no we never did that actually yeah and what about the first aid the first aid, we kind of went over it just a tad bit, um, just things that we needed in our first aid kit, um, what what he carries. And, and he actually had a guy that came in that was uh, that get actually certified us in CPR and first okay. aid. And he kind of talked a little bit more on the first aid kit and what he carried. Um, and so that kind of, you know, we took notes on that. And, you know, he said that, you know, you don't have to carry all this, but this is what I carry on a daily basis. You might need to go lighter because you're hiking and stuff all the time. So I kind of took all the notes from Cody, the owner, and then the guy that did the first aid and, you know, kind of went from there and kind of made my own. Yeah. Turner, uh, my oldest son, he went to a, a course and we, we did a podcast with him. It was 
put on by Knowles and he got his wilderness EMT and his EMT in a month long course like, like this, but it was super concentrated and everything was done in these scenarios. That might be something that you might look into to, to further that, that first aid and CPR and, and, and just your, 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 to round out that, you know, in a way that, you know, is, is incredibly useful. One of the things that Turner came back and, and I was looking at his first aid kit after that, because like th- those guys, like there were some people that were very far along, like paramedics and yeah. other, other people. And one of the things that they were telling him is if you don't know how to use it, you shouldn't be carrying it. Like, yeah, that's exactly what he told us. Yeah. yeah. And then that's pretty easy because I look in my first aid kit. There's a bunch of things I don't know how to use, so I just throw those out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess there's really no sense in having them if you don't know how to right, use them. Right, yeah. exactly. Except maybe you think maybe the guy that I'm working on might know how to use them. Maybe there's a doctor. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> or something. Um, okay, so then first aid, and then then what? And then you, uh, let's see, what's after first aid? First aid, you go through first aid, and then after that, I mean, it's really, you learn how to do CPR, you get CPR certified, and then after that, it's it's really over with. Oh, it's scoring day. Scoring day was the last thing. Um, you learn how to score an animal. Um, so they had to score an elk, they had to score two elk apiece, then they had to score one mule deer, one bear, and one bighorn sheep, um, and just learning how to score. And then how do you they, score a bear? You, all you do with a bear is you do from snout to the back of the head with a tape measure, and you make sure you put it up against the wall, and then you put it from side to side ahead. That's it. And you take those two scores, add them up, and that's it. That's all you do to score a bear. And then what did you learn about scoring an elk? Um, just scoring an elk is basically like a deer. Um, you know, you just score the width, um, the length of it. It's G2s, G3s, G4s, G5s, and then so on from there. And the mass, it's just basically just like a deer. Um, that's how you score deer, too. A mule deer is the same way. Some of them are different depending on the forks and stuff that he has, um, but you're going to score the forks, you're going to score the width of him, you're going to score the length of him, the mass of him, and uh, the brow tines, and then that's where you go from there. Add all those up. The sheep was kind of the coolest thing that I scored. Um, you score four different uh, points on a sheep mass-wise, um, you score from basically the base all the way to the tip, and you'll score four different points of that, and then you'll just score the whole length of it, and then you add those up. And that was probably one of the coolest ones I scored. Yeah, that was a sheep. That was probably really cool. Yeah, and that's that's cool. That's a good good thing to know for sure uh, as you move into this world. And then after the scoring day, the school's pretty much over? Yep. You go to what they call basically a vacation after that. Um, they take you on a pack trip, and it's three day, or two days long. And then you go, and you basically just hang out. You know, it's basically like a, this thing's over with, you know. And um, so you go, and, you know, you camp out, and you kind of put all your skills to the test. But, I mean, you you know, you're not getting graded on it. You'll, you'll uh, pitch a shelter and... You know, just hang out, you know, for two or three days. You can fish and stuff like that and basically just enjoy the wildlife. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, at the very end. And so then, like, what's next after after that? Like, you said that, that this guy might help you to get a job. Did he help everybody to get a job or? He asked us at the very beginning, he said, who wants to work after this, basically? Um, and we all told him who all wanted to work. And, of course, I wanted to go to work right after this. You know, that's what I wanted to do. And. So basically right there at the last week before it was over with, he 
took all the guys that wanted to work that had scores higher than a 3.6 in the class and set us all down. And he gives us a list of people that he has that are needing guides. Um, and on this list, there was probably, when I got the list, there was probably like 30 outfitters that needed guides. So it was kind of like, wow. So what I did is I was like, okay, I don't want to call, you know, everybody on this list. I just want to pick out five that I know that I would like to go to and then call off five. And now, why did there. you, why did you do that? Why did you, I mean, what led you to, to go down that route of five? Well, I mean, I kind of, when I got that, I kind of, you know, called my dad and was talking to him about it. And he was like, you know, you, you shouldn't call everybody because if you call everybody, then, you know, you have to get back with every single person. You don't want to burn no bridges and make nobody mad right as you're starting out. He said, so it's better just to maybe pick five of them that you would like to go to and then kind of go from there. That, and I, I thought it would maybe be less of a headache, you know, unless I'd kind of get confused on who I called, you know. And then I, I'd hate to forget to call somebody back and tell them, and then that just looks bad on me. Right. So good advice from your dad. So you pick five, and how did you pick those five out of this list? Like geographically, you look down this list. There's 30 people, 30 outfitters on this list. Where are they? Are they just everywhere or mostly in the western United States, Alaska? Or There was mostly in the western United States. So most of them were in either Idaho, Montana, or Colorado is where you found most of the, the outfitters that were looking for guides. Um, and I looked, I looked every one up on that list. Like I did look online to every single one of them, and I read reviews on every one of them. Um, and did and you find that it was across the board, up and down? And yeah, there were some that were, you know, not so good, and then there were some that were, you know, pretty good. So then that's where I picked my five out is all the reviews I read, and you know what they look like online and, you know, some, some how big they were and stuff like that. That's where I kind of picked my five out. But I did look up all 30. Now, are you also basing this on what you want to hunt? Like which direction you want to go in, in your hunting career? Right. That was also a big part of it, too. I knew that I didn't want to start out being a packer. Um, most guides start out being packers and, and stuff like that and camp jacks and stuff. I knew that I didn't want to start out doing that. I knew that I wanted to start out being a guide. So that kind of played a big role in who I picked too. Um, because most, most of them were looking for just camp jacks or most of them were looking for just packers at some points. And so that's where I knew I was like, okay, I need to find one that's looking for an actual guide. And it really didn't matter what it was guiding. I just knew that I wanted to guide. Um, I didn't really have that much elk experience um, of elk hunting. Um, me and my dad and my grandfather, we used to go elk hunting every year out in Colorado. So I kind of had a little bit of elk experience there, but I've never really bugled one in, you know, to 15 yards. So I, I never really had that experience before. So it was kind of kind of iffy there. So you, you pick these five. And where they're all located in Idaho or Montana or what? Um, the five that I picked, there was only one located in Colorado, and then the most, the rest of them were in Idaho. Okay, and so the time, what's the time look like between the time you graduate this this school and get this list? Like, what are you doing in that in that time while you're waiting, while you're contacting these five people? So he gives it to you a week in advance. That way, you can start calling. And when I called all the outfitters, they were needing me to start the day I graduated, either the day after or the day of. And I graduated on September the 1st, and the outfitter that I went with, I had to be there September the 3rd. So I had to be there, you know, 
two that days seems after. Like a, that seems like a funny time to hold a guide school. Like, shouldn't it be back in like July? Yeah. Or does he, he have them all the way through? And he's you got were in one three of the different last ones. ones. Okay. Yeah, and I was on the last one. Yeah, because that seems like it's those right people are, the, if they're still on that list, they really need somebody, right? Oh, yeah. 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 And most of them see, like, um, one of the guy, outfitters I called, he already had guides. So some of them on there already had guides for that year. But yeah, it was on the downhill fall. Uh, yeah. It was at the very end. So. so you're in Montana and you contact these five people. Some of them already had guides, a couple of them. What, how many How many offered you a position? Um, all five that I contacted offered me a position besides one. Um, and he that's a guy that already had guides. And that was my first pick that I wanted to go to, but he already had a guide. Mm-hmm. Um, so when something like that, would he have an opening for Camp Jack? Um, no, he was all full for he the year. Full. Yeah, okay. but he did tell me that he would, you know, keep me in mind. And he, you know... Guide, guide, the guiding world is is very, it's very slim. I mean, there's there's not a lot of guides out there. I mean, it, it's very hard to come by a good guide. So people are always looking. Yeah, and so you have now four places that you could work. How did you sort between those to pick the one that you went to? So once I found the four places that I knew I could go to, it went from there of if, if I was going to have housing, the payment option. Um, you know, and the guy that I worked for offered me a company vehicle if I came with him. Wow. So that played a big part in it. And I could stay right there at camp um, at the cabin and just where it was. Um, the four that I had picked out was in Idaho, and I knew I was going to be somewhere in Idaho. My buddy Tex actually went to um, an outfitter in Idaho also. And the outfitter I went for was two hours away from him. So that kind of played a a role in it too. I kind of wanted to be close to somebody I knew. Right. You know? So that's kind of where I made my decision. Okay. And so what, what does it look like? I can remember the first time um, when I got my job and just had no idea what to expect. And I can remember the first few days of, I mean, it was one time he just said, here, fix all these trailer bearings. I had never even seen the inside of a trailer bearing. Like, And now I'm supposed to fix you know, four or five trailers. And there were a lot of situations like that where you just got to kind of figure it out on the go. What did it look like when you're, I mean, first of all, you're leaving Montana and you're driving to this place that you don't know. You don't know anyone there. And you really are probably quite unsure about what is getting ready to happen. Like, what are you thinking at this point? At this point, when I leave Montana, um, it's four hours away from where I'm going. So, I, you know, I'm driving out through there, and it's kind of nerve-wracking, you know. It's kind of like, man, what are we about to run into? So I get there, and um, my boss uh, wasn't even there. Um, he just said, go inside and make yourself at home. Well, I actually passed the road <laughs> the first time when I pulled up. I passed it, and I went over like five miles down, turned down this back road, and ended up at a a cabin. He, you know, my boss told me he said it's a it's a log cabin with a green roof. Well, five miles down past his, <laughs> there's another log cabin with a green roof, and I pull up and I almost walk in here and start putting my stuff down. And this guy on a fuller comes riding by, and he was just riding. You know, he wasn't even on the property, and uh, 
asked him, I said, you know, is so-and-so on this thing? And he said, uh, no, I think you're looking for the cabin that's on down. And so I had to get my stuff back together and turn around and go all the way back. And then I did find it then because I tried to call him and he didn't answer. And so I was like, you know, about to set my stuff in somebody's house that I didn't even know whose it was. <laughs> and so I, uh, I went back and, and finally pulled in and some uh, clients that he had already had was pulling back up. And, you know, I got to talking to them really really nice people i still talk to them to this day um they 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 brought me in and acted like i was just family to them and they were actually from connecticut and um just just real good people real good people and so i got my stuff set in there and then i met my boss that night you know we had dinner or actually that night that i got there an hour after i met them i put my hunting clothes on and turned around and we went guiding after that I was on a, a a guiding experience with him. For what animal? Uh, elk. elk. Okay. And actually that night, we had him sitting up in a watering hole, and an elk had come in, a big five-by-five. Five. I spotted it on the hillside, and it was coming into the watering hole. And we, me and uh, my boss ran down the hill and ran up the other side to watch with the binoculars, watch it come in. And it was coming in straight to the blind. I mean, and it was probably 30 yards. Also, we see the elk stop. And I thought, man, is he moving, you know? And uh, we were waiting and waiting. All of a sudden, the elk stomps and turns and it just takes off. And uh, about that time, like two minutes later, we looked down the trail. And the guy's walking down the trail. He had left early. Oh, man. <laughs> because he thought that, you know, it was too dark to shoot. And uh, he left early and walked down. And he said, I didn't see nothing. And I said, you didn't see that big elk standing right behind you? And he said, what, what, you know? And he was mad then at himself. He was like, I can't believe that and stuff. But, yeah, right after I got there, he was, we were on to, on to it. So, well, how did you get along with your boss? Um, we got along really good. I mean, we hit it off, you know, right off the bat. He's a great guy. He took good care of me while I was down there. I mean, treated, he treated me like family also. And just real good down-to-earth people. And, I mean, we just got along great. I mean, I got along with the guides great. Um, there was me and one other guide there. And uh, he was a real good guy, too. I mean, just real down-to-earth. And just, you know, we got along great. What age was he? Um, he was 30. I think he was 34, 35. And how long had he been guiding? He had been guiding with uh, my boss for four years now. So pretty pretty established. Oh, yeah. How did it – did you have any problem kind of – developing any sort of respect from those people or any problem there no actually um braxton was the other guy's name and i had a lot of respect for him he he taught me a lot while i was down there you know actually we got a chance to go elk hunting together and uh he was going to try to bugle an elk in for me and i just told him i said no you go ahead you know i want to i want to watch you and see how you do it and he taught me a lot while i was out there and like i said he treated me like family you know and i mean it was he was a great guy to be around um he's a great guide i mean a great guide i mean absolutely really really good i mean he knows what he's doing out there and he was actually um in the army and you know i have to give it to him you know hats off to him he he actually got um a suicide bomber come up 15 yards from him and blew up um, a suicide vest from him. Yeah, broke both of his legs. I mean, has bolts and pins all over him. And uh, he's out there hiking in the mountains doing doing what he loves still to this day. I mean, he has a book out. And I mean, if you read that book, I mean, you, you'll just be amazed. What's the name of the book? Um, I, I forget the name. He gave it to me, but I have to think What's about it. What's his name? Uh, we'll Braxton McCoy. Braxton um, McCoy. It's on Amazon, yeah. Okay. He's just a good guy, man. I mean, he's just, 
you looking at him, you would never even think that something like that would happen. You know, I mean, he's out climbing mountains. I mean, he can hike better than I can. I mean, it's like he's running up the mountains, you know, and I'm back there huffing and puffing, but just a great all around guy. I mean, just, you know, I'm, I, hats off to him. I'm really, really proud of how he could be out there. And I'm really good, uh, glad that he, you know, took me in like he did and taught me what he taught me. Uh huh. So you show up at this place and the first night you're, you're guiding and then the next morning you're guiding and it continues like that all the way through or what? All the way through. I mean, the next morning I was up, you know, at 4.30 ready to go guiding again. And I was actually helping, um, Corey was my boss's name. I was helping Corey um, guide these one clients until the next clients come in. And then after they left out, the next clients come in and I had my own client. So Really? Yeah. Wow. And how long would, um, how long would people book this? Like, is it like two days or a week or? Um, Corey was actually booked from the year past. Well, I understand for the season, but like a certain client comes in, how long would they typically stay at oh, this outfit? Um, seven days. Okay. So seven. seven days. They're booking a seven day hunt. And if they get an elk, then, then what happens? Um, they can either leave early, but most of them would fly in. But if they drove in, they would probably leave early. Um, but if they got an elk, they would just stick around camp, you know, and if I was the one that was guiding them and they got an elk, I would, you know, try to take them coyote calling or, you know, just something that way they're not just sitting around at camp. You right. Know? Right. And would they have deer tags or, or, or some of them did, some of them would buy deer tags, you know, and try to kill a deer or some of them would buy wolf tags and you could go, you know, try to call a wolf in or something like that. So what about the area that you're hunting? Is this public land or private land or? It was all public land that we were hunting. Yeah, we were. It was all all public land. And are there many other people out there? Oh yeah, oh yeah. There was a ton of people out there. So that's kind of where we ran into a lot of our stuff. You know, you would find a group of elk, but three other guys found it too. You know. And then what's the what's the etiquette there? How do you how do you deal with that situation? As a guide, you know, you have a lot of etiquette for other hunters, um, but. Some of the guys that are out there in Idaho, the public land hunters, they really don't have good hunter etiquette. Um, I I was actually on a group of elk one time out in the middle of a desert, and they were all bedded down, and we were waiting on them to get up because they were going the same path every day. And I was going to try to put one of my hunters on one of that path, and as they would walk down through there, you know, maybe they would get a shot at them. But probably an hour before we were about to head out, we were watching them from the cabin with a spot and scope. And all of a sudden, you know, my boss come running in there. He was like, your elk are gone. I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, um, the guys that are staying down there by the creek just ran them through the field with a bunch of four-wheelers. Yeah, two hunters got on a a set of four-wheelers and went straight through the desert where the elk was laying down and had two hunters set up on the other side and ran them through the field. I mean, they just, they don't really have a whole lot of etiquette when it comes to hunting, I guess. Is that even legal? No. Yeah, no, we call, of course we called the game more and the game more and talked to him. You know, wrote him tickets, but you know that's basically all they can do. Right. And there's a lot of road restrictions up there where you can't take ATVs off the road. And a lot of guys, you know, they'll just not even worry about those signs. They'll just go straight through them. You know, and we're up there hiking. You know, so it kind of makes you a little mad when you're hiking and you have a fuller just blaring past you. Yeah. You know, I would imagine that would not go over very well at yeah. all. Uh, uh-uh. my boss, he really doesn't like that at all. He <laughs> he's calling the game warning several times on people that are, you know, riding fullers. But I mean, it, it it's, it's good because I mean, you know, it's they don't need to be up there riding on fullers. You know, if it says don't ride, don't ride it. You know, get off and hike it. So right. 
And then, um, so with your own client, what is it? (laughs) Did you have a good experience with your first client? Yeah, my first client I had was really, really good. I mean, all my clients I had were absolutely amazing. I mean, I didn't have one single bad client. What about the first one when he asked you how long you've been doing this? Uh, I said, this is actually my first year and he, you know, his eyes kind of got a little big, you know, but after that we kind of had fun. So I think he, he, he knew that I knew what I was doing. Um, and so he, he did get a little big eyed, but I I think he kind of got over that quickly. So about knowing what you're doing, like how, how do you know what you're doing when you're, this is, I mean, you've gone one day. Yeah. Right. I mean, I was just, I was confident. You know, I, I was, I've always been confident and I was just confident. I knew, I knew how to do it. I knew the hardest part was going to be to find them. And I, that was, that really came the easiest to me. I could always find elk. Um, I was always spotting elk and finding elk, finding big herds and then ready to go kill them. You know, I was ready to go like, let's go right now, you know? And, uh, that was just always easiest to me. And I always found elk, I always got up to hiking where they needed to be. And, you know, it was just, it was fun, you know? And, I don't know. I kind of just elk hunting is a lot like turkey hunting back home. Um, you got a call and they basically come into you. You know, you just got to work the calls and stuff like that. And I wasn't the best bugler when I started. Um, I'm still not the best, but I'm getting better. And it's just fun if, hearing an elk at 15 yards in the timber just bugling at you is just something crazy. Yeah, I mean it's absolutely crazy. So are you archery hunting at first? Are you hitting? I mean, like you're showing up kind of late. Right. right, like September. That's like, yeah, that's 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 prime time. Yeah, we were archery hunting at the very beginning. We didn't have any rifle hunters this year. They didn't draw tags. Um, where we were was a was a draw, but um, they didn't draw any tags. So all the elk hunters that we had were all bow hunters. Okay, so they all used a bow, and so that's where you got to really get them in close. Then, yeah, I mean, like fifteen yards. That's that's incredible. And yeah. you, you, how many of these experiences at 15 yards do you think you had this season? I had probably three or four. One was actually with Braxton on his own. Um, we actually had three different bulls bugling at the same time. We actually had one fight like 100 yards from us and take <laughs> his cows from him. And that was a good experience. And then at the last hunt of the year, we actually had one at 15 yards, had two different bulls at 15 yards bugling at us in the timber, but my hunter couldn't see them. And through the timber, it was just so thick and uh, the wind swirled and they busted out of there. And then we had those at like 90 yards. And then there was a couple more where we had them at 15 yards, you know, real close coming in. It was just just weird it's just a weird experience i mean it's just fun and and it's just crazy it's it's absolutely i know i said it before and i'll say it again it's just crazy hearing one bugle yeah in the timber at 15 yards from me it's just it's so loud and it's just it's right there you know your adrenaline is just pumping yeah just really really pumping yeah and so did you have uh experience are these hunters that you have are they experienced bow hunters or are they freaking out when this is happening at 15 yards well some of them were you know returning customers so they've kind of know know the drill but most of them were this year's never killed an elk before so when they're at 15 yards and these elk are bugling and they're coming in you know they're freaking out you know you have to calm them down and tell them you know just be steady you know just it's okay you, you know just hold tight hold tight you know but they start freaking out i mean you know, and, and worrying about where the elk's going to come out at and stuff. And I just, you know, that's that's another part that you got to be as a guy. You just got to calm them down and tell them, you know, it's going to be okay. You know, we'll, we'll get it done. Don't worry. 
And so that's kind of where you're at on that. What about the fitness of your clients? So the only client, I only had one client this year that wasn't really, you know, fit to go. That was a, that was actually on a mule deer hunt. Um, and he was 67 years old. Um, but I still give it to him for being out there. Um, and he kind of wanted to sit in glass from the truck a lot, which is okay, you know, but all the other ones, I mean, a lot of guys are coming out there, you know, that are retired and stuff like that. And my boss tells them before when they book the hunt, you know, try to keep up, you know, physically, you know, go run and hike, but you really can't get prepared to come out West basically because of the atmosphere. Um, you, you know, you can hike every day, but it's just the atmosphere that what's really gets you. But most of the guys that I had, you know, they, it was hard for them to do it at first, but they, they still did it. They still got out there and they hiked it. So. And so how far are you hiking in a day? Typically. That all depends really. I think, I think, uh, one day that I had that was not so much of a hike was six miles, um, was probably one of my Least hiking days. Most. What about most? Most hiking days, I think I hiked over 16 miles in one day. Wow. And somebody's staying with you. Oh, yeah, up and down. And the only reason I knew that I hiked 60 miles, he had a Fitbit on his arm. And uh, he was like, we hiked over 60 miles. And I was like, wow. You know, it doesn't even, when you're blowing and going up through there, I mean, it doesn't even feel like you're hiking. Right. You know, it doesn't even feel like you're going 16 miles. Yeah. I bet it does for a guy from New York. Oh, yeah. A guy, a guy from New York <laughs> or Connecticut or something. You know, he's back there huffing and puffing. But I had one guy from Connecticut, and we hiked over like 11 miles in one day. And he was just excited about that when we were hiking 11 miles. You know, he was just like, we hiked over 11 miles. And I was like, heck, yeah. You know, he was he was really good and ready to go. You know, I still talk to him to this day. We talk almost every day. Oh, yeah. You know? Most of my clients that I had, I, I got all their numbers and stuff. Uh-huh. And uh, there's probably two or three of them that I talk to almost every day on a daily basis. There's a lot of there's a lot of great relationships that are that are made between guides and clients, and and they're often they're kind of funny relationships. Like you've got a fishing guide and an orthopedic surgeon that is absolutely the very best in the world. I mean, this guy is the best at what he does in the world, and. He spends a tremendous amount of time with a certain fishing guide, gets married. The fishing guide is his best man. All of his other friends are doctors, and but there's this special relationship with this person that he spends a tremendous amount of time with doing exactly what he really likes to do and cultivating these memories like what you're doing with these people. It's powerful, man. It's really powerful, and those those are real relationships. I mean, it's not like, you know— you just know this person. I mean, you're spending some time with that that person that very few other people are are able to spend with them. And and some of the some of my best friends were were definitely customers of mine, just like you're talking about. It's a it's a strange little funny world, but it definitely happens. So, what do you, what do you think? Like, I think it's it's interesting to hear you talk about all of this, and and you have this this experience that you had. Think about. This time last year, like this time last year, you were sitting there kind of wondering what you were going to do. Had you even decided on a guide school yet? No, I have not. Okay. So at this time last year, how much in your life, how much has changed between this time last year and now? A lot. 
I knew, I kind of knew since middle school I wanted to be a hunting guide. And I always knew that I wanted to be a hunting guide. So I just never really knew how to do it. So then when I came, found out about guide school, that's when I knew that's how I was going to do it. But this time last year, you know, I was still wondering how I'm going to do it, you know, how I'm going to get out there and, 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 you know, how I'm going to make it happen. Um, and how old are you right now? I'm 19. So at 18, you're wondering how you're going to make it happen. So tell me, now that you've made it happen, what all has changed in your life? I mean, I just, I feel like accomplished. I feel like I, I did something, you know, um, and I do have to give it to my family. You know, they, they backed me 110%. Um, when I told my dad and my whole family, I said, I'm going to be a hunting guide one day. I mean, they backed me 100%. And my biggest thing that I feel now is I made my, my family happy. I made my family proud that I went out and I did that by myself. You know, at 19 years old, you know, I went out you know, 36 hours away from home to go guide by myself. Never been anywhere by myself before besides like Florida or something for a week. You know, and I went out for three months without my family. And, and I went out and I did that. That's probably the most, the best thing that I feel after everything that I've done so far. That's probably the best thing that I feel is making them proud. Um, I'm a big family guy and I love my family very much and they've always backed me. So if I had one thing to be proud of, it was making them proud. I mean, I just, I love the feeling of that. I love the feeling, you know, the first time I seen my grandma, you know, three months after I got back, you know, just seeing her eyes light up, just knowing that her grandson just did all that by himself. I mean, that was just one of the best feelings in the world. Um, just, just seeing my family's eyes light up. And, you know, when I made all those accomplishments out there, when I finally found out that, yeah, I'm going to go guide right after school, my first, you know, thing that I wanted to do, I wanted to call them and tell them, hey, I'm going to guide right after this. You know, I just wanted to hear their reaction and know how they felt. And, that's probably the best thing that I feel is just just making my family proud. So what was it like growing up in a place where being a hunting guide is not, I mean, did you know any hunting guides? No. Um, the only hunting guides I knew is, is just being on hunting trips with my dad and my grandpa. Um, I would know them. And last year when I was 18, I went on a hunt trip out in Alabama um, and we met this guy, Billy, out there that, that hunted in Pushmataha, Alabama. And he talked to us a little bit. And he said, you know, if you ever need any help with God, you know, just let me know. He said, you know, I love God. And, you know, he said, I can help you as much as I need to, you know. And that's the only really guys that I knew is just being on hunting trips with my dad and grandfather. That was the only guys that I knew out, you know, in Oklahoma and stuff like that. And um, we had one out in Colorado, um, Wes. Atkins and you know he we talked to him a little bit and I kind of told him when I was little I was like you know 12 years old and I told him I said I want to be a hunting guide and he was like man yeah you need to do it you know you need to go do it this is the life you know and so like, I always knew that I wanted to be a hunting guide but that's the only hunting guys I knew I never knew any around here I know some now that I am a hunting guide and I know some that left from Chattanooga and became hunting guides but none that became big game hunting guides you know i know some that become like duck hunting guides and fishing guides and stuff like that but none that were big game no yeah so when you're telling people that you wanted to be a hunting guide when you're a kid are you getting various reactions i mean you say your family backed you but i mean there's one thing in backing you and then there's another of like as a parent you're kind of like man i don't know how like 
is this something that I should encourage or 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 not? And and often, you know, sometimes sometimes people are being incredibly well meaning and trying to just bring reality into it. Like, you know, that's hard to do. I mean, did you encounter some of that kind of things? Even from family, it can be, and it's well-meaning, you know, but it's kind of hard to hear when you're a strong-minded young man. Yeah. I mean, when you tell somebody, hey, I'm going to be a hunting guide when I get older, that you kind of get some of those reactions, you know, like, you know, you sure you want to do that? You know, is that, is that a steady job? Is that, you know, steady for you? Is that going to be steady income? Stuff like that. My dad never really told me that. Um, he was just always, yeah, man, you need to do it if you want to do it, you know, follow your dream. And my grandpa out of everybody in my family is probably the one that, that did that. He was like, man, you know, you sure you need to do that? You know, is that a steady income? You know, the same questions that a lot of people in the outside world would ask me. And that, you know, that is good questions, you know, to, to, to think about, but I don't know. It was just my dream. And I just said, you know what? I'm still going to do it. You know, I I just, I want to follow it. Well, that's super cool to that. And a lot of people that have that, dream and have that um and i guess i guess there's a lot of ways that those questions could be asked of you like in some ways like oh you don't want to do that could be different than are you sure you want to do that like one is very caring and asking and just making sure that you're that you're sure of what you're getting into and another is like discouraging you from from doing it and there's a big difference between those things but i think that a lot of people that are strong strong-willed encounter that and a lot of times it's it's from sometimes the closest people in your life that they don't want to see you fail they don't want to see and they see that you're setting yourself up for a road that they can't help you with right and and i've seen that a lot where and people manage it in different ways Uh, you know i know your dad and and he is he from from you know even when he brought you into my garage he's like look kid wants to do something kind of like you like can you help him like you know talk just yeah. talk to him you know and and that's that's huge right there of of even bringing you into that situation and saying you know listen to what he's got to say and you know we, maybe you learn something there but i think a lot of people get discouraged in in trying to fulfill a dream whether that's being a hunting or fishing guide, of course, but anything that's off the beaten path. And, and some people don't have that support behind, behind them. And I feel it, it's tough to, to see that, but it's, it's really encouraging that you did not. But from other people outside of the family, I don't know, I got it all the time. When are you going to get a real job? Like, like, I don't know, this is a real job. I worked 325 days last year. How much yeah. are you making? Like, <laughs> yeah. like what, what can be more of a real job? I, I worked more days than you did. But I got that a lot. And I got, you know, more of the when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to stop messing around and get a real job? Then I did, you know, are you sure you want to go down that path? People told me, you know, you'll never make any money as a fishing guide. And then other things would happen. They would be like, no, you don't want to be the guy on the back of the boat. You want to be the guy on the front of the boat. Like for you, it'd be like, you want to be the guy pulling the trigger. You don't want to be the guy pulling the horses. Yeah. And uh, it's like, no, no, I, I want to be the guy pulling the horses. <laughs> yeah. Like that seems pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah, that seems, yeah. I've always found that it's like, I like, I see, I get more excitement seeing somebody else kill something and, and then I do of killing something. I mean, you still get excited, but 
it's just something different. I know they're probably the same thing with you when somebody catches a big fish. I mean, you probably get excited, you know, more than you would, you know. And uh, I kind of got that that when you're going to get a real job also, um, when you're going to grow up, basically, is kind of like what I got from people, not so much family, just people in the outside world, like my friends and stuff like that. Like, man, when are you going to grow up and actually do something, you know, people that are out there doing construction work and stuff like that. And man, when are you going to come work with me, you know, and stuff like that. It's like, I just, I like what I'm doing, you know, I, I like, I, I want a guide, you know, I yeah. want to do this. I mean, it seems, I don't know about, about other people, but it seems pretty grown up to be going 36 hours away from home and, and going to a place that you don't know anything, any, anyone and doing things that you don't know anything about and learning that to a degree that you're offered a job and then going and working and being successful i mean that seems pretty grown up to me that's like, yeah that's like when people would say that that's why i kind of let it go through one ear and right out the other it's like man i you know at 19 years old what were you doing back then you know you know yeah i bet you didn't go out 36 hours you know away from home and i like and like you said i mean i didn't know nobody you know 36 hours away from home not knowing anybody you know my dad did take me out there to Montana and then he dropped me off and he flew back home. I mean, that was it. I was out there by myself, you know, 36 hours. That's no it. No car? Oh, I had my truck out there with me, but um, that was it, you know, just out there by myself, you know, learning how to point, do it. At that point, imagine that things were a little bit different and you had a little bit support. Like, I almost think that any success that, that, that I had in this, in this world, most of it came from really not having a lot of other choices. Like you're out there by yourself. You're either going to make it or you're not. Right. I mean, there's, and, and not making it is, is, is a poor choice. It's a oh, yeah. 36 hour drive home. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not like you can just, eh, didn't work out. I mean, how did that play into it? Did you feel like, did you get that? It's not like a desperation. It's almost more like, you know, they call it burning the boats. It's like you've burned up, you you hit the beach, you burn your boat, and that means that there is no going back. Like, did yeah. you feel like that at all? I did. You know, going out there, me and Dad talked about it. And he was like, you know, I'll you know I'll come out here and, and get you if I need to. But I told myself, I said, you know, it's not only a thirty six hour drive back. It's what I've got to listen to when I do get back. <laughs> of all my friends saying, "Man, I told you you couldn't make it," is doing that, and I, I told you you couldn't do that, and you know, just everybody saying that. And I knew when I went out there, I said, "You know, I'm not coming back. I'm not. I'm not coming back without accomplishing something. I'm not coming back without being a hunting guide. I'm going to do this. I'm all the way out here, 36 hours away by myself. I'm going to do it because I'm not going to come back and let and give." Those people, you know, the chance to even say, I told you you couldn't do that. You know, that's not how I am, and that's not how I was going to be, and that's why I did it. Yeah. And so now, now what? Now, it's just, uh, now that I've got this down pat, I'm going to go out to Texas in January and guide. Um, one of my buddies um, that I met out at the school, um, he's from Texas, and he guided a little bit in Texas and Stonewall, and he told me, he said, man, you know, I, I become good friends with him and he was like man come out to texas and let's guide i said man let's do it so in january we're going out there and we're going to guide on a high fence ranch out there and guide together and then after that i plan on going back out west to guide a little bit i want to guide 12 months out of the year um i want to guide out in texas um for most of the time and then around august i want to go back out west guide a little bit so how does that work 12 months out of the year how, how does that work i mean there's seasons obviously that right. you have to 
be what how will you work that out 12 months out of the year as far as hunting so september october yeah september october november i'll be guiding out west for elk and mule deer and stuff so that's after that so then november through december opens up duck season and i plan on going to like kansas or something like that trying to guide for duck hunting a little bit um and then after duck season ends around january i plan on going back out to texas and guide until August, and then doing it all over again. So there are seasons that are January through August that right. run in Texas, or is that because it's private ranches and exotic game? And yes, that it's a high fence ranch, so it really doesn't have any seasons. So it's it never runs out. You could guide in Texas twelve months out of the year at that ranch, just because of not the, you know the no seasons. Um, so that's why I would guide there mostly. Uh huh. And your buddy already had a connection there. Is that? Yeah, he got it there before he came out to the school. He got it there a little bit um, for them, um, just doing ranch work and stuff like that. But now that we went through the school, they're going to actually let us guide out there. Okay. So, and what do they have? Um, they've got a lot, a lot of exotics. So like Axis deer, some big turkeys, some big Rio turkeys. Yeah. Um, I'd like to kill one of those. Yeah, <laughs> that that would be really fun. Have you? Have you? How far along on the slam are you? How many different kinds of turkeys have you? I've actually almost only got my eastern. I need I need to do it, but I haven't really had time. Out of everybody, I'd like to do it with. I'd like to do it with my dad because he's a big time turkey hunter, just like I am. So I'd love to do it with him. So it's kind of waiting on him. Maybe this year we can get out there before I go out to Texas or something, and maybe do it. But the goal is, I want to open up my own guide out outfit and service. One what day. does that look like? I don't know. I want to open up one in Texas and one in Kansas. And I want to, I don't really want to do elk um, and mule deer. I'd like to do just regular whitetail deer, ducks, and turkey. I'd love to do that. And maybe my own bow fishing service. I'd like to, I'd like to do that. I mean, I, there's so much I want to do. And I just want to open up my own and, and do it out there. I think it'd be so fun. What to, would you bow fish for? Out in Texas, I'd like to shoot some big alligator gar. Shoot some big alligator gar and carp. I do a lot of bow fishing around Chattanooga, and we shoot those big buffalo carp and those commons and stuff. And it's just, I don't know, it's just fun. I'd love to guide to and do I think that. What is that? The Illinois River, where the carp just they have that carp invasion, and they just jump out of the water. Oh yeah, those Asian jump, yes. jumping carp. Like, yeah, I think you could go and do everybody a favor and start shooting those things. And it seems like great target. I mean, who? Where could you possibly go and offer somebody more targets than? than that um, i've seen so many videos on that where yeah. people are out there catching them with nets yeah i know did you see the one with the guy's water skiing and he's got like spikes on his shoulder pads and, and he's got and the and net and all that and they're just jumping at him and he's just catching them and, and there's there's a, a serious fear that those are moving south into like the tennessee waterways and stuff like that that, that would, would be, be disastrous crazy. oh yeah that would it, be it would crazy. be horrible um because that's a mass of fish that has to eat and has to poop and they're not supposed to be there Mm-mm. and it throws everything out of balance and it's it's a bad deal a yeah. really bad deal so how do you see that you would guide for for ducks in Kansas like when you look at these opportunities that you're talking about and you you're like I'd like to do this and I'd like to do that is that because you've already seen that that it's possible or you're just kind of blue sky in it that You'd like to go there and and guide for ducks, or you're just thinking, you know, there's public land there, there are ducks there, I'm going. I'd like to, I'm just kind of blue sky in it, really. I'd like to lease a bunch of land out there, and that's how I'd open up a guide service. Um, there is a lot of ducks in Kansas, so I, I kind of know that 
the potential is there to guide out in Kansas. There's a lot of guides out in Kansas already, a lot of outfitters out there. I'd like to go out there and actually guide for maybe a year with another outfitter just to kind of see how they run theirs. And then that's when I'd like to open mine up. All the land that I want to get. I don't really want to hunt on public land just from hunting on public land last year and seeing how it how it is. I'd like to have some on private land, some lease land where I know that I'm the only one on there. That way I can kind of almost, you know, right. be certain that, you know, I can I can find something on there without having to worry about three other hunters coming on full wheelers. Yeah, no, that's that's tough, especially like turkey hunting because it doesn't take anything but somebody to move in the woods over there and you just blew your whole thing you've been working all morning for. Oh yeah, that's and, how it goes. Yeah, out there. it's not 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 good. And elk hunting is, I would imagine, exactly the same thing. I got to go elk hunting with with Turner in uh, in Bozeman, and he was in the. He guided this year and uh, was successful. Went a slightly different route than you did. He didn't go to a guide school, but he did do something similar to to you. And that was, he took a piece of advice that was given to me a long time ago. And he came to me and asked, like, if you wanted to do this, how would you do it? And I I don't know anything about hunting guide schools. That So that didn't even cross my mind. I just said, you know what? First of all, you've got some skills that people are interested in. Like Turner, for the last two years, has been a wrangler. So he already had a lot of the horse experience, and he could work with rank horses, man. I mean, he's got, like, he, he, can, he can handle horses. Now, he didn't know a lot of the things that you were learning, like, like the, the shoeing and stuff. He's learned it since then. But I was like, man, a lot of those hunting outfits are, like, I mean, when I talk to my friends that go elk hunting, they're like, I loved elk hunting. I hated the horses. Like, <laughs> they were a big pain in the butt the whole time. And and if somebody knew how to work horses, then then that would seem to be a big advantage. And so I, I told Turner, I said, like, look, somebody gave me a piece of advice a long time ago. And they said, if you want to do something, you need to write a letter a day, seven letters a week, and just keep doing that until an opportunity presents itself. And he's like, well... What do I write the letter? Who do I write it to? What do I write it about? I'm like, well, that's where the magic lies. Like, at first, it's easy. You're just going to contact these different outfits. Well, you're going to run out of outfits in a little while, and then you're going to start getting creative about, well, who else could I write a letter to, and what else would I say to that person? And then, then all of a sudden, you just keep putting yourself out there and keep opening these doors of opportunity, and sooner or later, one opens. And it didn't take him very long, and he found a number of outfits that were looking for for guides and that were willing to take on a guide that didn't have a lot of experience. And, and you know, he got his opportunity, went out there, worked for this outfit, turned out to be a great fit for him, and was very successful this year. Killed, killed quite a few elk, and or three elk out of six weeks, so he was 50%, and got someone with a bow, got rifle kills as well and couldn't ask for anything more than that like first year and and you actually are successful 50 or 60 percent of the time that seems that's, that seems pretty good yeah that's that's really good and really uh good. you know for for both of you guys i mean it's it's really quite an accomplishment you know it's one thing to be be a hunting guide is kind of similar deal with me going out west and being a fishing guide and really not knowing anyone that had done that or seen that or gone down exactly that road. And you and Turner both went down these two different roads, ending up in a similar location. You're with a guide school, him kind of working it out through these different horse opportunities and, and writing the letters and stuff. But it's, it's quite commendable that, that you, know, you set that goal 
and accomplished it. And that goal could be a hunting guide or a fishing guide, or it could be something completely outside of that. But it's just really cool to see both of you set a goal which most people consider outlandish, impossible, completely off the beaten path, and then to figure it out for yourself and and go and do it. And it's super cool to see it. And it's super cool when it's when when you come back and you're obviously just super super excited and and the the world has completely changed for you in one year and you have done that really you changed your own world in a year yeah it's great to even look back and just think man i did that you know and i just can't wait to see what what lies next that way a year after today you know i can look back and say man i was there at that point but now look where i am you know it just i just can't wait to see where it lies um, and where it leads to i know i hope it i hope it keeps going like the way it's going well it's really cool to see that it's gone this far and you've you've taken it much further than than most people most people just sit around with a pipe dream and never never actually do anything or just sit around and and maybe just complain about the situation they're in or just sit unhappily in the situation they're in and you did exactly the opposite you you set a goal you figured it out and figured out a path to make it happen so you know maybe this time next year we'll do another one find out where you are then and man congratulations on your success it's really cool to uh to see do you, so do you have any um social media presence or can people get a hold of you what yeah, can they um, can they follow you yeah they can follow me uh, on instagram it's hunter underscore jackson 27 um follow me there you can follow me on facebook hunter jackson um i'll be on there so and i post all my stuff that i do so yeah be great to so your dad named you the right way huh yeah hunter yeah <laughs> he did good on that one is that part of it or is that a family name no that's just actually he just always wanted to name his kid that i guess so that's kind of where he went so yeah fisherman that's just that's not a good name hunter, <laughs> hunter works out better hunter yeah hunter kind of smooth yeah <laughs> yeah that's good man and did you find that the western people and the northern people that were your clients enjoyed some good southern hospitality yeah I kind of at first I kind of got you know you know picked on a little bit about yeah about the about the southern drawl I guess but after that yeah they kind of they kind of was like man you know that's kind of cool how you talk you know talk again you know <laughs> so it was kind of crazy but the guy that was from New York you know I was always telling him to talk you know because I thought his accent was pretty cool but it's it's kind of funny when you go out somewhere else where you're not you know from and stuff and you listen to other people's accents it's kind of funny but. Yeah, if you go out west and you got a southern accent, they'll kind of they'll kind of give you a hard time a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sure they will. Well, listen, Hunter, man, it's been great. I really appreciate you coming in and doing this podcast with us. And you know, keep us posted on what's going on. We'll be following you, and we'll do another one. Yeah, for sure, Tom. I really appreciate it. Thank right. you. Good luck, buddy. Well, thanks for listening to the podcast today. Hunter has done an amazing job going out and getting that opportunity. Got a little bit of bad news though. Just a day or so after recording this podcast with Hunter, he was in an accident where a gun accidentally went off and struck him in the neck. So Hunter is in the hospital right now and he's recovering. He has been given a chance to walk again. He is has use of his right hand and his left hand is coming back, but currently he is not able to walk or move his move his legs. So could please give hunter your thoughts and prayers as well 
If you wanted to go above and beyond and do something else, there is a GoFundMe page for Hunter Jackson. We have put it on our Facebook page. I have put it on the Hunter Jackson article that is on the podcast website, TomRolandPodcast.com. That is T-O-M-R-O-W-L-A-N-D podcast.com. If you're having trouble finding it for whatever reason, send me an email, podcast at Saltwater Experience, or you could go directly to Hunter Jackson's Facebook page and find, find it right now. Any help you could give to Hunter and his family would be much appreciated. And if you have, if you want to send him a note, you can just send it to me and I'll make sure that he gets it. It's podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Podcast at saltwaterexperience.com. Send me your your note to Hunter. I'll make sure that he gets all of those. And if you could, go to the GoFundMe page and help. All right. We'll see you next week. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors, every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. I'm Will Cooper, host of HuntStand's Make Your Mark podcast. If you haven't already, download the free Waypoint TV app to listen to our podcast and watch the original films from HuntStand Presents anywhere, anytime, and on any device.